Thank you for listening to the Faith Bible Church podcast. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit us at faithbiblemd.org. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Verse number one, and one verse only. Should be a short sermon, shouldn't it? <laughs> Let brotherly love continue. And that's as far as I could get off of that phrase right there. One of the Christmas traditions is, of course, to send people Christmas cards. In recent years, people have gotten a collage of family pictures, printed them on festive backdrops and sent those out as Christmas cards. And those are really cool. Happy families, stylishly dressed, beautiful children, even cute pets. Those types of pictures were very hard for the McNutts to pose for. Not because we're not a loving family. Eliana is beautiful and stylish and the boys are handsome. And I'm, you know, dad. So I qualify to be in the picture because of my title. No, the reason why we have a hard time taking those types of pictures is because we are a loving family with a very distinct love language. Four out of five members of the family's love language is touch and poke and pinch and squeezing of body parts. So when we attempt to stand together for a picture, no sooner do we line up and someone gets grabbed, jabbed in the ribs, love handles are squeezed and butts are grabbed. And of course, the recipient of the love reacts, flinches and yelps. And the culprit, the grabber, laughs. And this has been the reoccurring gag for the last 25 years. Probably the genesis of this was because my mother-in-law, who loves to take pictures at every family get-together, requires a big group photo. And the boys, when they were little, would get tired, annoyed, disagreeable with the process. It became an irritating chore. So instead of whining and arguing, because that would get them in trouble, they sabotaged the activity by being silly. Since taking multiple pictures for 30 minutes was painful for them, they entertained themselves by assaulting one another during the pictures. Now, I won't say who the biggest culprit of this tradition is, but I will tell you the most victimized person in the family was and still is Tony. Tony always ends up being the one who gets grabbed and poked, squeezed and molested because it is he who would scream. And making Tony scream was the sport of his older brothers. They didn't do this because they hated him. Oh, actually, Tony is very admired and loved by his older brothers. It's just their warped love language is to tease and aggravate. And they don't do it to people they dislike. They do it to people they're very fond of. That's the love language. And because we all love Tony so much, particularly love to make him scream, standing close beside him for 30 seconds is impossible. Slide's not working. There it is. You'll never understand how rare this picture is. Five of us actually looking good at the same time. I'll just let you bask in it for a minute. I guarantee you, Ricky withstood the urge to squeeze Tony for maybe 
15 seconds, and two seconds after this picture was snapped, Tony screamed. That is brotherly love in the McNutt home. Now, if Robbie had been there and Tony was in the middle between the two brothers, that picture never would have happened. Too much brotherly love prevents us from having any decent family photos. So the author here says, let brotherly love continue. As you've heard me say it before, he who controls the definition controls the argument. So in a postmodern society, famous for rewriting history, reimagining math facts, reassigning genders, and redefining words, controlling the definition is essential so that we can properly interpret what God has just spoken to us. Brotherly love is displayed in the McNutt household is not what the author's prescribing. What is the author? What is the biblical definition of love? There's only one word here. It is a word that if you're from uh, Pennsylvania, you're very familiar with, and especially if you like the Eagles. It's the word Philadelphia. Two words in English, brotherly love, is only one word in Greek. Philadelphia, a word the Greeks created to communicate a strong emotion one feels for family, an affection, kindness, loyalty, allegiance one has for their family. It's forged through times of shared experiences, eating together, talking together, laughing together, crying together, working, playing, studying, worshiping together. It takes time and intentionality to grow this love. I mentioned last week about the on-campus housing I earned while coaching basketball. The housing was a two-bedroom apartment. A two-bedroom apartment meant three boys shared one room, Ages 10, 8, and 6, we had bunk beds, twin up top, double bed on the bottom. Roberto got the top bunk. Ricky and Tony slept together in the double bed. Three years, years I was in seminary. Two of those years, Ileana homeschooled the boys. So they pretty well had each other 24 hours a day as the only friends they had. Lots of shared experiences. They were not always kind and affectionate with each other, but no question, a deep loyalty and an allegiance was forged. With the exception of two and a half years, Ricky has lived with his brothers his entire life. Earlier this year, he bought his own house, moved out of ours, and somehow Tony got packed up with his stuff and moved into Ricky's new place with him, but they have separate rooms, so they don't have to share a bed anymore. That's good. All the time and intentionality has grown the Philadelphia, the brotherly love. So this is what the author of Hebrews commands to the church. Let brotherly love continue. It was happening and it needed to continue. Apparently it's something that God likes to see and wants us to do. Now, why would that be? Well, it's because God quite literally declares us his children and his title for himself is Father, right? We saw numerous examples of that in Scripture. And of course, Jesus taught us, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven. Since God is our Father, what is our relationship one with another? Brothers and sisters, family. This is an accurate way to classify our relationship because as you all have experienced, the challenging thing about family is you don't get to choose them. You choose your friends, most likely you chose your friends based off of mutual likes and preferences. Often as teenagers, you preferred being with your friends more than you did your own family. A family function was an obligation 
you were told you better attend, hanging out with friends is something that you planned and you couldn't wait to go do. Roberto was always like that as a, a child. He always wanted to abandon us and go someplace with his friends. And there was definitely times he liked his friends more than he liked us. And that's okay. We didn't get offended by that. That's natural part of a young person's growth and development. It's not that he hated his family. He'd just sooner play video games with his buddies than go to Virginia and visit his great-grandmother. Often his complaint about the family functions was, nobody my age. The older cousins treated him like a kid, and the little cousins were small, annoying little kids. Thus, family functions were boring. He didn't like us that much at that point in his life. Often, we would accommodate him and permit him to go have fun with his buddies, but on certain occasions, we'd say, no, Robbie, this is a family function. This you cannot skip unless you intend to be part of another family. Until you're prepared to find another family and move out, you're not skipping this one. He liked his friends, but he decided he needed us, so he would concede. You know what event in particular was required for the entire family? You know what wasn't optional? Church. As long as we were living, as long as the boys were living in our home, they were going to have to be a church because this family is part of this family. And just like Robbie, we too don't always like everyone in this family either. Are there cooler things to do than sit here and listen to Pastor Rob? Maybe. Some of you can't think of any off the top of your head, but you ask one of the teenagers, they'll give you a long list of things they'd sooner be doing than sitting here listening to me. That's okay, guys. My kids felt the same way about me as well. But life isn't just about the cool, fun stuff, doing only things you like to do. Here's a picture of our family. This is all of Ileana's clan, and uh, we're smiling here if you can't tell that. Uh, we weren't a few hours prior to this being taken. This is uh, Uncle Jesus' funeral back in 2019. It wasn't what we describe as a fun family event. This is in Delaware. Robbie and Amanda, they were in the picture there. They had to travel five hours to get there, but they made it. Eliana gave them the date and the time and said to Robbie, I don't know if you can make it. Uh, he said, don't worry, Mom, I wouldn't miss that. That's important. Life isn't just about the cool, fun stuff, doing things that you only like to do. Family is a deeper bond. And as you grow and mature, you learn that. And here's another picture of the family. Same people, different occasion. That one's Roberto's wedding. And all the kids that Robbie used to like to hang out with uh, more than us, pretty well none of them made it to the wedding. All those old friends were no longer in his life, but this crowd, who he thought was boring eight years ago, they were all there for his special occasion. When you grow and mature, you learn to make room in your heart and time in your schedule for the important things. And church is the same way because church is brothers and sisters in Christ. Church is the family of God and God commands, let brotherly love continue. So, what exactly does brotherly love look like? What does that mean? Uh, flipped over to Romans chapter 12 for a minute, verses 8 through 13. I think there's a good uh, explanation here, a, a little more elaboration. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Okay, there you know why I went to this passage. 
in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervor in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. I think this passage elaborates on what brotherly love is, starting with the phrases, breaking them all down. Let love be without hypocrisy. You can say you love someone, but then treat them very unkind, hateful even. That's love with hypocrisy. So you have to be sure if you say you love someone, there is an action to back up that claim. Then we see abhor what is evil. If you love someone, you want goodness, righteousness, blessings for them. God bless you and God bless America. All the presidents conclude their speeches with those words. But more times than not, it's hypocrisy because they don't do the things that God will bless. They cling to evil and they abhor what is good. And clinging to evil will put someone under the curses of God. It puts them under the wrath and the punishment of God. When you love someone, you don't want them to suffer the wrath and the judgments that evil produces. You want them to experience the blessings. So you cling to good and you abhor evil. Eliana does not like bugs. Big shock, eh? Growing up in old apartment buildings in New York, you're bound to make some friends with some cockroaches. But if you keep things clean and dirt-free and you fumigate, you drive them out and they'll find a dirty, non-toxic apartment to inhabit, and they'll stay out of yours. So Eliana has always been big on, we need to get this place cleaned up. We don't want bugs. So she abhors dirt, and she attacks it like it's an offense. Now, I personally do not find dirt as abhorrent as she does. I can tolerate more clutter than she can, but I do understand her point. I don't want the bugs either, so I support her war on dirt. The wrath of God is nothing any of us would want our loved ones to experience. And that's why we have to abhor evil and cling to what is good. Now, some of us do not abhor evil as much as others of us do. Like me with the dirt, I'm more tolerant than Ileana. Or maybe we don't want to sound harsh or we don't want to sound judgmental. Telling people we love that what they're doing is evil. Ooh, that sounds so mean. You know, we don't want to hurt their feelings. But we have to remember that we don't get to define evil. God clearly spells out what the works of the flesh, what the activities are that he abhors. So what he defines as evil, we can't call good. We cannot say, oh, no, no, that's okay. We have to, what? Cling to what is good. And in love, warn people the destructive paths that their evil leads them to. That's love. Kindly affectionate is the next one. Uh, tenderness. It's how grandparents look at pictures of their grandchildren. Suzanne sends us pictures of baby Levi. And then Greg sends us pictures of the twins. And then Tom sends us pictures of his granddaughters. And everyone's got grandchildren but me. I got a grand dog. You know those um, 
Christmas cards I, I was talking about earlier that you all send me and Eliana and I, we look at them and we look at them together. And uh, she goes, oh, how cute. Oh, the Harris kids. Oh, look at the Haggers. Those boys, they're growing up. You know, because for many of the couples here, like we officiated the weddings, we performed the baby dedications, we watched these families grow, and we feel a sense of affection for this family. And that's how God wants us to react to one another. Do, do you suppose that's because that's how he feels about all of us? You know, how you feel about your children, your grandchildren. Here's a picture of my grandson. He's so smart. Do you think that God feels that way about each and every one of us? Which is why he wants us to be kindly and affectionate to each other. That's how he feels. Preferring others, putting someone else's needs ahead of your own, preference to one another. And everyone says, yes, that is exactly what people should be doing, putting other people's needs ahead of their own. Amen, pastor. Matter of fact, I can think of four people who are not putting my needs ahead of their own. They're totally dismissing my needs, and they're not focusing on me. They're only focusing on themselves. Wait, what? Everyone likes the rule, put other people ahead of yourself when they're on the receiving end of being put to the front of the line when someone's sacrificing for you. But the instruction here is you. Nobody wants to fill in the blank. <laughs> you are to prefer others. If you concluded others are to be preferring me, you're not applying the passage properly. But Pastor Rob, let me tell you why people ought to prefer me. Let me tell you why I ought to be moved to the front of the line. It's because I, for one, me, myself, am dealing with me, me, me. And these are the reasons why I ought to be preferred. And as you recount all your challenges and issues, as you're standing there waiting to be preferred, you can't figure out why you're not feeling the love it's because brotherly love continues when you prefer others. You feel the love when you're giving the love. You don't feel the love when you're standing around waiting for it, hoping someone's going to give it to you. This is the magical ingredient, the secret formula, the 11 herbs and spices that everyone is trying to figure out. How do I get the love? by doing it, by giving it. When we were a newly married couple living in Canada, Ileana was hundreds and hundreds of miles away from all those people in the picture, and uh, she could have felt very much alone. There's no family here to help me. There's no grandparents here for my children, but she didn't act that way. Uh, we used to go to the senior ministry lunches, and Ileana would come in with her little baby Robbie, in a little belly with baby inside. And uh, we would have lunch with the seniors. And uh, we worked with the teens. And we went to seniors' lunches. And that's how diverse our ministry was when we first started out. We were at both ends of the spectrum. And you know what those seniors did? They just said, oh, Ileana's so cute. And they just wanted to adopt her. And they wanted to adopt baby Robbie. And there was this one brother and sister team, Wanda and Percy. And they lived in the seniors' condo. And they just would have us over all the time. We got to cook a meal and they would cook a big pot roast and they'd have all those, 
you know, Canadian preserves and re relishes and all those things that they like to do up north. And then we would play games and they had a little closet with a little toad of toys that were just for Robbie. They bought all these toys just for Robbie to come play with. And they'd always take us out and insist on paying. And I'm like, you, oh, I'll, oh, I'll pay. No, you're going to pay. Oh, okay, I'll let you pay that. You know, I'll play that game. And they just loved on us. We were in our 20s and they were in their 70s. Why did they want to be around us so much? Because we were showing up and loving on them. We went to their lunches and we shared our baby and we shared our time. And these seniors would, if Ileana like ever needed a babysitter, oh, they'd just, oh no, we'll take the baby. And they'd want to come take him. And, and then the other end of the spectrum, is oh, she never had to pay for babysitting. There was teenagers. Oh no, we'll babysit. We had all these teenagers that wanted to do this because those were the people that Ileana was investing her love and energy into. Now, it was a very funny situation because the middle-aged people in that church, the 40 to 50-year-olds, you know, they weren't sure about me at all as a 26-year-old pastor. They were, yeah, I don't know about that guy. But the teens and the seniors, they just loved us to death. And man, I'll tell you right now, I miss that World War II generation. Those old folks from back in that time, they were so fiercely loyal. If you gave them some love, man, they would go to war for you. Those people grew up in hard times. You think about it, they had to band together through the depression and the war, and they knew about sacrificial love. Now, I know they weren't all perfect, but they in the church were some of the examples of how to love. And it, all, a lot of my stories come from that older generation. So I was reading down through verse 11 through 13. Man, people's faces were popping up in these senior saints, you know, not lagging in diligence, it says in verse 11. And, and I thought of, uh, I've told you about her before, Irma Rushton. You know, in, in the year 2000, Irma was 78 years old. She's going to be on home and be with the Lord now. But, you know, one day I'm up there in my office. It was right beside the nursery. That was very apropos, I think. And I'm right there by the nursery. And Irma's in there with the baby, 78 years old. And, and, uh, and I went in and I said, Irma, you know, it's probably my kid, probably Ricky. You know, it's like really heavy. And uh, she's lugging him around. And I was like, Irma, you, you're always serving wherever and whenever we need. You're always the first one to stick your hand up and help. She said, well, pastor, the Lord gives me the strength to do it. So I just keep doing it. And I said, Irma, that's why God keeps giving you the strength. Because you use it to serve. Think about that. Because so many senior people, they wouldn't go near that nursery. I've already done that. I've had my time. But that was not Irma's attitude. She was fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. As long as I got the strength, pastor. I'm going to serve. Rejoicing in hope. I don't think I've ever told you about Dorman Dale. Ever told you about Dorman Dale? Dorman Dale was the valedictorian of his college, but he'd had a motorcycle accident, and he suffered brain damage, and he was permanently disabled. Physically, he recovered fine, but he was not there mentally. Couldn't work, couldn't drive. One time he said, I'd really like to have a wife, but, you know, he didn't have a lot to offer for that. And he knew all this. He could tell you his whole story. But through it all, in that tragedy, Dale come to believe in Jesus. And Dale never missed church. And he was our doorman. He was our welcome team. Before churches even had such a thing as a welcome team, he would just stand by the door every morning and open the door for people and give everyone a big warm greeting, always rejoicing in hope. And whenever we had an altar call, Dale would be moved and he'd come forward just to praise God and commit his life to serving Jesus. He knew his life was hard, 
but he was always rejoicing in hope. What's next? Patient in tribulation. Patient in tribulation. I throw this people's name out there. Probably embarrassed them doing it in the first service. They're not here now. But when I, when I thought about that one, I thought of Rod and Carol Ann. You know, this shining example of patient in tribulation, even though the judge has reviewed and ruled Danny's trial, a miscarriage of justice, he still remains in prison. And the corruption in the system runs deep. But do they grow bitter in their hearts? No. They just keep serving our church and serving the Lord and loving on all of us. Continuing steadfast in prayer. That was another thing I observed about the seniors when I first started in ministries. They were always the ones faithful to Wednesday night prayer services. Now, to be fair, they didn't have small children to put to bed, and they didn't have to get up early to go to work in the morning. They had less responsibilities since they were retired. They had more time. But the fact that this is Canada, and they would brave the ice and the cold in the darkness to always come out, that spoke volumes to me about their steadfastness. And our senior folks who maybe have the less energy to get involved in the services and the programs, they have more time they can devote to prayer. And I have had many examples of that that I've known through the years. Eliana's great-grandmother being one of the greatest examples of this, she started in the morning with her Bible study, and then she would pray for the children and the grandchildren, all the people in the picture I showed you. And uh, she says to Eliana, by the time I'm done praying for everyone, I look up and it's 3 p.m., Right? Hours just praying. And we don't all have the luxury to do that, obviously, but she could. And I'll tell you something else about that dear, sweet woman. She wasn't always like that. Most of her life, she was cranky and short-tempered and easily annoyed by her family. Get these grandkids out of here. They're touching my stuff. But at the end of her life, once she became steadfast in prayers, she changed. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. She was in her 90s, and she changed her attitude and her opinion about everybody. The time with the Lord in prayer changed her hearts. Now, lots of people spend lots of time complaining about their children and their families and society and sit around watching Fox News and watching all the complaining about what's going up in D.C. and all the bad things in the world. How about instead of complaining... You spend that time praying. You fight those battles on your knees. And the hymn writer put it this way, is there a heart or bound by sorrow? Is there a life weighed down by care? Come to the cross, each burden bearing. All your anxieties, leave it there. All your anxieties, all of your care, bring to the mercy seat, leave it there. Never a burden he cannot bear. Never a friend like Jesus. Nowadays, we'll go online to the comment section to voice our frustrations. We have these echo chamber of people we rage at. But what about just taking it to the Lord in prayer? Do you pray for God to speak to the people who are upsetting you? Think about that. They are his kids after all, right? You know, back in the day, if, if you told on your siblings, mom and dad would make them behave. Right? That was the great strategy. Tony used that one all the time. Just tell and get the brother straightened out. One time at my Aunt Bonnie's, I told on my, my cousin, he was being a big bully, and I told on him, and, oh, he got his butt whooped. And he called me a tattletale, but he also smartened up. 
you want to give yourself a little love test this morning, see if you're letting brotherly love continue in your heart, do you pray for the people who've offended you? If you've forgiven people, if you say you've forgiven people who hurt you, do you pray for them? Verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Now, I think I might have to elaborate on giving to hospitality a little more next time. But these are the ones that really test our love for others. Just like giving preference to others, when someone's sitting around waiting for someone to meet their needs and give to them and do for them, if we're all doing that, nothing gets done. I don't, uh, we don't talk about this a lot, but, you know, Ileana pretty much every day will wake up with a high level of pain. Sometimes it's debilitating in her back, in her legs, in her feet. And sometimes she'll just be moving for a toothbrush and all of a sudden her back goes and she's in incredible pain and just has to sit down and uh, wait for it to subside. So I'll go get her a cup of coffee and she'll just sit there. And then once it's calmed down enough that she can start moving again, you know, she starts getting ready and then she comes to work. Part of her life for the last 10 years has been pain pretty well every day. But she never stops because she sees the needs of others and she wants to help. Doing something to help others makes her feel better about her pain. Doing nothing and sitting around thinking about her pain just seems to make her pain feel worse. Now, folks, we know, we know everyone in here is hurting. Everyone has needs. Nobody has everything together. That's just not life here on earth under the curse of sin. But the way to make life better is through love. We meet someone else's needs, and in doing so, it helps meet our needs. The people instructed in here, let brotherly love continue, were being attacked by their families, rejected by their community. They were run out of their businesses. They were being arrested and jailed. They had needs. They had problems of their own, pain of their own. But God tells them to meet other people's needs because it is through your pain and your weakness that God is going to show himself strong. God is going to do great things through your pain and weakness. And when you give the love, you receive the love. And if you do the hospitality, you receive receive the blessings. But if you won't do the love, you won't feel the love. So look at your needs, your pain, and realize this is actually an opportunity to connect with someone. If I'm feeling this, if I'm struggling this, probably there are others are here feeling and struggling with the same thing. And this is where a passion is born, where a ministry is often inaugurated. People can relate to the needs of others because it's something that they need as well. We all need love. This is the big picture. The question is, can we all stand beside each other long enough to be part of the big picture? Let brotherly love continue. Lord, we thank you for this time to really dig into this phrase and understand what love is what it means, and how hard it is 
to live it and do it and show it how we all need it, but how hard it is to give it. Lord, we pray that we would be generous in our expressions and in our communication and in our daily living to show people who have even heard us that we love them. And that's only going to be a supernatural thing, Lord. So we pray that the Holy Spirit would convict our hearts and draw us to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.